Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, as we think of the cross, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us, and we truly recognize that the only gift that we can give in return is our whole life be completely and utterly surrendered to your service. Father, I just pray for Lester this morning as he shares with us what you've laid on his heart. May you bless him with clarity of mind and that he would share what we need to hear this morning. We just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Greetings and welcome to each one of you. As we think about Thanksgiving being this week again, I just appreciate the, the uh, recognition of that in our, in our song service, and uh, especially that song um, where it talked about someone to thank. I recall hearing, um, this may have been last year or several years ago, and I think we, if you want to, you can look for this again this Thanksgiving season. There's people who recognize Thanksgiving Day and attempt to give thanks without giving thanks to anybody. If uh, Watch some of our government leaders in, in the official announcements they make or recognition of Thanksgiving Day and look for that. We have someone we can thank. That's true thankfulness. And we have someone who has done so much for us that uh, we're called to give him our heart. The best way we can show our thankfulness for what he's done is give him our heart. And I'd like to talk about our hearts this morning. <clears throat> I want you to think about this, that there is two ways that we view life. There's two ways we approach life, the, interact with people, with, with possessions, with things, life in general. We either view it from the outside as it appears to our human eyes and what the material things we can see on the outside. Or we value what is on the inside, what is invisible. The, the motives, the, the desires, the beliefs and feelings that come out of what we describe as our heart. And we, I think, should know at least that God is concerned about what is in our heart. And we're, of course, not talking about an organ that pumps blood, but it's, it's the word that we use and that Scripture uses to describe that what is within us, what, what motivates us. We approach everything in life from one way or the other. And, and I want to portray to you the, the contrast between those two, those two views. Of course, as human beings, we can only see what's on the outside. And we understand that what is on the outside is evidence of what's on the inside as well. Yet there's, there's an inside there that we can never fully see and understand like God can. But God asks us to give him our hearts, 
he wants to own that and control that. And so he has given us some understanding of what is in our hearts. But the human in our flesh, our humanness, we only want to look at the outside or be concerned primarily about what is on the outside. And perhaps one of the clearest illustrations of these two ways of looking at life is found in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, and this is where Samuel the prophet was preparing to anoint a new king to replace Saul, and was asked by God to go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons, so God didn't tell him which one before he left. But as he got there and and looked at Jesse's sons, couldn't understand why it wasn't God choose this one. This one looks like he'd make a great king. But God said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's a probably familiar verse to many of us, but I believe it portrays um, quite clearly the, the two different ways of looking at life. So Samuel was looking at the outside of these men, at their stature, at their appearance. And it, it tells us previously there where, where Saul was anointed that, that it seemed like it was fairly important to the children of Israel the appearance of that man and his stature. And that was one of the reasons they liked Saul so well. He was a whole head taller than anybody else. But God says, that's not what I look at. I look at the heart. And these two different views um, take us very different directions. Ultimately, if we look at only the outside, we become obsessed with and worship our appearance. We become obsessed with our possessions and our things and pursuing pleasure. We're so overwhelmed, we're so, so concerned by how other people view us. So appearance and possessions become of high importance to us. The other way of viewing life We believe that the significant things, the most important things, are what's on the inside, what we can't actually see. And this draws us to worship God because eventually we come to realize that God is the only one who can change what's on the inside and who can deal with what's on our inside. It is sometimes said that the Bible is really a story of a battle between good and evil. And I think that's right. I think that's a proper way to view Scripture. Um, But right along with that, if it is a story of a battle between good and evil, then it also is a story of the two different ways of approaching life. And um, just quickly going down over a few of the stories that we find in Scripture that, that portray this, these two different approaches to life. Um, God's rejection of Saul and the anointing of David, of course, is, is one. And we're going to look at that one a little more later on here. Um, Elijah and, was it Elijah or Elisha? I'm not even sure now. And his servant, I get this too mixed up. But his servant was, um, they were worried about what was going to happen here because the enemy was coming with horses and chariots and uh, a large army. The servant was only seeing what was on the outside Elijah wasn't worried. 
he said, God is with us. God is on our side. And, and God at that time allowed the servant to see visually with his eyes the army of God. There it shows us that what is on the inside is more important than what is on the outside. David and Goliath is another example. David's brothers, as well as the rest of the army there, were afraid to confront Goliath because of his stature, because of his power, because of what they were seeing on the outside. But David said, we can't let this man or these Philistines, um, I can't think what the word was he used, but to, to speak badly of our God. And... David was not afraid to confront that Goliath, that giant, because he knew what was on the inside. He knew who was in control. Um, he knew that God was with them. The rich young ruler in, in the Gospels, he asked Jesus, uh, what else do I need to do to get eternal life? I've, I've lived right. I've done what is right on the outside. I've kept the law. And Jesus, knowing his heart, knowing that his possessions were of too great importance to him, told him he needs to sell everything he has and give it to the poor. And that young man, unfortunately, walked away from Jesus. And he was sorrowful because of his possessions that he could not, did not want to give up. The Pharisee and the publican in their prayer, another example, the Pharisee stood on the street where everybody could see him and had this eloquent prayer, and, and it was important to him that people saw the outside of him, what he was doing. The publican didn't care whether anybody saw or not, and he cried out to God for mercy, because he knew that God was the only one who could change his heart. Uh, we, we could go over many more um, illustrations from the Gospels and the early church as well, uh, of where was apparent that there was this struggle between just viewing life from the outside or looking at the inside. The, the struggle that the early church had with, with accepting Gentiles into the church really came down to that. You know, they were just the wrong kind of people, but when they realized that, that it didn't make any difference to God what ethnic group they were from or what their background was, God was concerned about the heart, and they were able to, to bring those Gentiles into the church as well. I'd like to show to you um, four realities of the heart that I believe we need to understand and believe in order to understand how important the heart is and why, why this is a subject that we need to look at and why it is a subject that the scripture so often speaks of. Four realities of the heart. The first one is that the heart is the command center of our lives. And I'm going to be turning to, referring to at least a lot of different scriptures here this morning. And you don't need to feel compelled to turn to all of them. But perhaps if you want to, you can, you can jot them down and go back later. I, I find that helpful at times in a sermon to, to write down you know, some, of, some of the main scriptures and, and in your personal devotions at home even, you can, you can go back and, and search into these more, but I feel like I need to back up what I'm saying with what the Scripture says. So, 
The first reality is the heart is the command center of my life. Therefore, what happens there matters most. Strong's Concordance describes this word heart that's used in the scripture as like this. It includes not only the motives, feelings, affections, and desires, but also the will, the aims, the principles, the thoughts, and the intellect of man. The source of all action and the center of all thought and feeling. It stands for the inner being of man, the man himself, and is the fountain of all that he does. So as Mr. Strong tried to understand this word and how it's used in Scripture, that was his description. I think he says it well. It is the command center of our life. Out of that comes everything else. We need to realize that and accept that truth, that, that we don't act the way we do because of some outside force, but it comes out of our heart. It's the center of who we really are. Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Are we sometimes, in an effort to defend ourselves, we easily use the excuse, well, he made me do it, or some version of that, or put the blame on someone else for our actions. But in reality, think always or almost always, there is something in my heart that makes me want to follow that person. There's something in my heart that made me want to do what they were inviting me to do. Or made me want to follow them, copy them. I wanted to please them. I wanted to be approved by them. Or I feared them. So it still comes back to the heart being that command center of my life. Number two, we're born with a depraved heart. A corrupt heart. Every one of us. God knew this, God knows this, when after the flood, and we know that God brought the flood upon the earth to destroy and in a way um, kind of set back the, the evil that had just run rampant in the earth. And so he chose to save one righteous man and his family, Noah. And But after, after the flood, after Noah came out of the ark, again, in Genesis 8.21, this is what the Lord says. This was when, when Noah was offering a sacrifice to God. It says, the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I, ever, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So right there we see that God realized that this was not the solution. This flood, this destroying the whole earth was not the solution to the evil in man's heart. You realize that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And, and God knew this was not a surprise to God that man was again going to become very corrupt and evil. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And later on in that chapter, Jeremiah says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Jeremiah realized that God was the only one who could save him, that the heart was deceitful. 
The heart was wicked, desperately wicked. And, and it's beyond our ability to understand that or do something about that. That's what he meant when he says, who can know it? That's the third reality that I want us to understand is that we can do nothing to change our hearts. We're born that way. We can do nothing to change our hearts. Ezekiel 1831, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? And then later on in 3626, he says, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The instruction was for them to get a new heart. That was the only answer to their problem, a new heart. And God was the one who can give that. And he promised in the Old Testament that that is what he would do. He would give people a new heart. The fourth one is that God, through Jesus Christ, can change my heart. Jeremiah 24, 7, Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And Jeremiah 31, 33, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Ephesians 4.24, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And, and it, uses, it doesn't use the term heart there, but the new man, which is the new heart that God puts within us. The new man created according to God in righteousness and holiness. We will choose which one we will serve, the old man or the new man. This is described in great detail in Romans chapter 7, where Paul talks about the, the law, the old law, the new law, and his struggle to, to do what is right, and yet finding himself at a place where, where he does what is wrong at times. And he says in verse 22, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. So again, he's, he's not using the word heart, but I think that's what he's referring to. To delight in the law of God according to the inward man. That new man and that new heart that God put within him is where his delight is. Is where he sees value. Where he sees um, that that's what he sees he needs to follow after. But we are left with a choice in who we will serve. Will we follow that old heart that's put within us or the new heart that only God can give us? So it does come down to daily choices that we make. Who will we follow? I'd like now to look at the life of Saul and David as a case study for these two ways of approaching life. And again, I really can't... This is a long account in Scripture, in, found in 1 Samuel, the, the life of Saul and the life of David, and, and even beyond 1 Samuel here in, in looking at David's life. But just, just to try and hit some of the, the highlights here of their lives and to see the difference between the, the approach to life where what's on the outside matters and the approach where, where David was the one who realized that it was what was in his heart. And, and this is interesting that David being living in the Old Testament times before the, 
the crucifixion of Christ, before that um, redemption was, was given, and yet the understanding he had of how important the heart was. Let's look, first of all, at Saul's life. We often describe his life as a downward path, and, and it truly is. If you look at beginning with the children of Israel and their desire to have a king, and then, then Samuel uh, talking to God about this, and God says, you know, this is not what I want for these people, but I'm going to allow them to do this, and I want you to, to appoint someone to be their king. So Samuel, under the direction of God, appointed Saul, and that was very clearly God's choice. And in 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel anoints Saul, the one who was selected by God, and he says, God is with you. And it also says in that chapter that God gave Saul a different heart. And it also says that he surrounded Saul by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. And this was really the highest point of Saul's life. From here on, it seems like it went downhill. And I think it comes down to those choices that Saul made. And who was he going to follow? So Saul had a new heart. God was with him. In chapter 13, then we see where Jonathan... I'm going to turn there and read a few of those verses. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, here is Saul's son, Jonathan. And Saul had appointed Jonathan to be over a certain portion of the army, and Saul was over a certain portion. And it says that Jonathan went out and attacked the Philistines and um, defeated them, or at least uh, aroused them, and so they were going to come back with a bigger army and fight against Israel. It says, Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it and said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the, to the Philistines. Do you notice what it says there? It was Jonathan who went out with the army and attacked the Philistines. But Israel heard the story from Saul, that it was Saul who had attacked them. And it seems here like Saul was the one who wanted credit for this. And it's easier to understand it that way as we go on reading this account, the way that Saul treated his son and the animosity that was there at times between them. Saul wanted the credit. Saul was trying to portray himself on the outside as a man worthy of being their king. In chapter 14, then, Saul made... Well, let me back up before I, before I go into 14. In chapter 13, so Saul wanted to take the credit for this, but then he also, later on in that chapter, he offers a sacrifice to God that directly disobeys what God had instructed him to do and what Samuel had instructed him to do. It was direct obedience. And, and he did this, so, so he, as they were waiting for the Philistines to come and attack them, and Saul was getting his army ready, he wanted some direction from God, from Samuel, and Samuel didn't show up as quickly as Saul wanted him to. 
So Saul went ahead and made that sacrifice. So that was prohibited. God had prohibited the kings from doing that, but it was for the priests and the prophets to do that. So Saul went ahead and offered the sacrifice, and, and shortly after that, Samuel showed up and confronted him about his disobedience. Saul says he did this because he was afraid the people would leave him. In verse 11, Samuel says, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash. Then I said, Now the Philistines, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. It was the fear of the people leaving him. Again, the fear that people would not follow him and view him as their king and as a mighty warrior. That he was willing to, was not patient here and waiting for Samuel and instead disobeyed the Lord and offered this sacrifice. So there we see another step that Saul is making. And because of this, this disobedience, Samuel then, or God then instructed Saul that that the kingdom would be taken from him. But in chapter 14, Saul makes a rash oath. And again, we see how he treated Jonathan here. I'm not going to take the time to read all that, but Saul made this oath with his army that they were not going to eat until the Philistines were destroyed. And Jonathan wasn't with them at the time when that oath was made. And here comes Jonathan not realizing what they had done. And and so they're pursuing the Philistines and they find this honeycomb on the ground in the woods, and, and Saul or Jonathan takes some of it and eats it, and it strengthens him. They were, they were becoming weary and faint here from following for pursuing the Philistines. So then this was a, a break of that oath, but Jonathan did it in innocence, not realizing the oath that they had taken. But Saul goes on to blame Jonathan for that. And, and Saul then wanted some direction from God and asked God for some direction, and God refused to speak to him. And Saul went so far as to, he was ready to kill his own son Jonathan because he blamed Jonathan. That God isn't talking to us because you haven't kept this oath. But the people there defended Jonathan and kept Saul from destroying his own son. So again, we see Saul very concerned about how people view him from the outside, less concerned about what's really going on in his heart. In chapter 15, again, Saul disobeys God by not utterly destroying the Amalekites. So he was instructed to attack the Amalekites and to completely destroy them and not save anything. But he says, it says in verse 9, Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. And then Samuel comes along, and he says, Saul, what have you done? And Saul makes excuses for himself multiple times. Saul said, well, this people spared these animals here that you hear bleeding. Because Samuel realized what had happened. He heard the animals. He said, you haven't destroyed everything. I can hear the sheep bleeding. The people did it, but clearly in verse 9 it tells us that Saul and the people spared them. So Saul blamed the people. And again in verse 21, But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice 
to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So he's trying to defend himself by blaming the people and saying, well, they had good intentions. But that was not what God wanted. So Samuel said to Saul in verse 22 and 23, the Lord has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and, and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. The story just goes on and Saul continues to make all these bad choices and and. There's times when he wants direction from God, but God refuses to give him the instruction that he wants to hear. We know how that Saul tried to kill David. He hunted him down. He pursued him relentlessly because of his jealousy and his anger towards David. He also was angry and attempted to kill his son Jonathan again by throwing a spear at him at a time when when he realized that Jonathan was sticking up for David. He had all the priests killed because he suspected them of conspiring together to help David. And he consulted a medium when God refused to speak to him. And in the end, he took his own life in in, in the battle when he realized just how, how terrible life had become for him and, and what was happening, he took his own life. <clears throat> this was the path of a man who was concerned about how he appeared on the outside. Now let's compare that with David. And I'm not going to go through the story of David's life because it's a, a long and detailed story in the scripture But instead, I'd like for you to listen to what David says as he writes the Psalms. I'm going to read a number of them, and these are all words of David and words that that he wrote down as songs. So it was, I think it's fair to say that these were words that were coming from, from his heart. This was not just a light conversation, but it was things he wrote down. Uh, that came out of of what he firmly believed in his heart and how he understood and viewed God. And this clearly portrays a very different man than what we see in Saul. Psalm 10, verse 3, The wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. Here we see that David understood that The wicked acted the way they did because of what was in their heart. They renounced the Lord. In Psalm 10, 17, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. David understood that God was the one who could change a heart or prepare a heart. Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 66.18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. 19.14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. 27.14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. 86.11, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. 
Unite my heart to fear your name. And that word unite in some other translations is described as um, give me an undivided or a pure heart. So it was David's prayer that, that his heart would be solely focused on, on God and on doing what was right. Unite my heart to fear your name. This is just a small sample of, of all the, the psalms. Uh, we can find this just throughout David's psalms where he talks about the heart and the importance of what is found in there. And, and numerous times he, he makes himself um, vulnerable before God by asking God to come and search his heart and show him if there's anything wrong. And David's life, of course, he, we know that he was not a perfect man. He was not sinless. But his life was very different than Saul's in that when he did sin, he was really willing to repent of that. And, and God continued to work with him. He also was very careful to do what would honor God, even so far as to let his worst enemy, Saul, escape, because he did not want to hurt the one who God had anointed. He was careful to allow God to, to choose how and when that would happen, as, that he would take over as king. We see a vast difference in the life of Saul and David. I think this is a good case study, if you will, of these two ways of approaching life. Either the outside or the inside matters most, and it affects what direction we will take in life. Matthew 23, verse 25, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside They are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Jesus saw very clearly that the Pharisees were only concerned about the outside. Does this difference in these two approaches matter? Certainly it does. Saul or David, like the Pharisees or like Christ. Is it only the outside of the cup that we are concerned about? Or do we ask God to search our hearts, what's inside, what only he can truly see and understand, and to give us a new heart? In light of this, we can understand why God God called this the greatest commandment when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Turn with me yet to Mark chapter 12. Here we have an encounter that Jesus had with a, I think it calls him a lawyer or a scribe. He came to Jesus and asked, which is the first commandment of all or the most important? Jesus' answer was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Notice there that this scribe, in his 
answer in agreement with Jesus, he actually added something else there that he understood and that Jesus had also taught and that Samuel, way back in the Old Testament, told Saul this. To love the Lord with all your heart, to love your neighbor is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Isn't that exactly what Samuel told Saul? It's more important, the obedience, what's coming out of your heart is more important than all these sacrifices. Jesus commended this scribe for his answer. He saw that he had answered wisely, and he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This man understood something about the heart and the two different directions that it can take you. Whether you view life from the outside, from only what we as humans can see, that is most important, or if it's what's on the inside. The most important thing that we can ask of God is for Him to search our hearts. I think it's important that we, we do that on a regular basis. Because it's true that our hearts are corrupt. And we can do nothing to change that. It's only God who can change that. He alone fully understands what's in our hearts. Yes, we can see evidence of people's lives, just like we looked at here in Saul and David. We can see the evidence of where the heart is, but we cannot fully understand it. But God can. So we need to pray that prayer like David did. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your written word that we have before us this morning. That we can open it, we can study and learn from it. So thankful that you have given us this promise that you're able to put within us a new heart. You're willing to do that if we allow you to. And we need your grace and your power to live daily from that new heart that you put within us. To view life and to make choices um, based on, on the new heart that you give us. Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts and show us where we are wrong. Show us where we need to change our lives. And show us how that we can love you with our whole heart and serve you and love those around us with that heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.